chapter. Uh, thank you. I am going to mention that reading, but I'm going to base my sermon on the gospel reading, uh, which I'm going to, to read now. And the gospel reading is taken from John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. After this, after he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Jesus, again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If anyone, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, who was also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. Jesus performed many other signs in, his, in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe in Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak into our hearts and minds today and inspire us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to let you into a secret, a distant secret. Uh, when I was about 11, I started secondary school and uh, on that journey, I had to go to, I went by train for a few stops and had a heavy briefcase, you know, with all the books in and everything. And uh, I was going down the steps of uh, stairs in this uh, railway station. One of the older kids from a couple of years above me said, hey, he waddles like a penguin. <sighs> and by the end of that week, that was my moniker. Uh, at school. I was known as Peng for seven years and uh, I used to go to friends' houses and they would introduce me to their parents and say, hi mum, hi dad, this is Peng. And they'd say, yeah, but what's his real name? And he'd say, uh, I don't know, Peng. <laughs> and uh, 
And many years later, not somebody from school, but somebody, a former colleague I used to work with, I was coming through uh, Heathrow Airport, the scrum that is passport control, and somebody shouted, hey, Tony. So I turned around and they said, I'd recognise that walk anywhere. <laughs> so, so it must be true. I must deserve that name, that nickname. But today we look at a moniker that made one of the less familiar disciples infamous, a moniker that stuck for 2,000 years, doubting Thomas. One brief moment that defined a lifetime, captured by John in his gospel, a single sentence that defined the very nature of the man. And in tabloid fashion, subsequent interpreters of the text branded Thomas as doubting Thomas. And with no rights of redress, he was the doubter, like it was a heinous sin. Some have suggested he should be the patron saint of non-believers. But I would like to suggest that he's the patron saint of the modern Christian. He's independent-minded, questioning, evidence-seeking, committed, and uh, loyal unto death. There are six things we know about Thomas that make it okay to be honest in our faith, to ask the difficult questions, to be sceptical, to look for evidence and to seek the truth. Thomas was the prototype modern Christian. The first time we encounter Thomas we read in person in the Bible. Well, the first time is actually when he's called to be a disciple. But the second time we read about Thomas in, in Scripture is in verse 11, sorry, chapter 11 of John's Gospel. When Jesus had received word that his dear friend Lazarus was ill. And Jesus told the disciples he would go to Jerusalem again to see him and his sisters Mary and Martha because they lived just outside of Jerusalem, of course, in a village called Bethany. The disciples objected. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you and, and, and yet you're going to go back there? And then a few verses later, Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us go with him, that we may die with him. Thomas knew Jesus, the man. He believed in him and the things that he was doing. He was willing to follow Jesus into danger and willing to die himself alongside Jesus. As a result, we can conclude that Thomas was loyal and courageous. In these words, he models the devotion that is elicited in Christians who truly believe in Jesus. He models the devotion that is requested of a true disciple to die to this world and to be born again in Jesus. Do we have that courage? The next time we read of Thomas in person is after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead and he's entered Jerusalem on the first Palm Sunday, the crowds greeting him as a king. And we fast forward to the upper room for Jesus' last meal with the disciples on the eve of his death. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet 
And he's now telling them about the place that he will prepare for them in heaven. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place that I am going. And you can just imagine the silence in the room, the focus on Jesus' words, the disciples struggling to understand what Jesus was saying. And it was Thomas that spoke out, asking this question that was surely on the lips of all of them, but none bar Thomas dared ask. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Thomas had the courage to ask the difficult question. This was not blind acceptance, but thoughtful, respectful, grappling with the message. And as a consequence of his questioning on behalf of the other disciples, and actually on behalf of us all, Jesus responds with one of the most memorable statements he made, that we as believers, we as believers hold on to and cherish as the light that guides our lives. It's actually a statement that defines the Christian faith. Because Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Without Thomas's questioning, Jesus might never have said that. It's okay to ask questions of Jesus. And there are questions we all wrestle with that get discussed in house groups, study groups, theological courses, and in general, wherever Christians have honest conversation. It's acceptable to wrestle with faith and the nature of God. We should be encouraged when we have questions. It means we're thinking about our faith. It's alive within us. And when others ask questions of us, we need to be able to help them answer those questions too, to be effective evangelists. It's okay to ask questions. We fast forward three nights to our gospel reading today. The disciples are gathered in the upper room on the evening of that first Easter Sunday, the day of the resurrection. The doors are locked in fear of what, because they're in fear of their lives and what the Jewish leaders might do to them. And we read in verse 34, now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And we're left to ponder why that was. It's unlikely that he didn't know the meeting was taking place. All 11 had been together in the morning when the women returned from the tomb. It's unlikely that he prioritised something else. He had something else better to do. 
So I wonder whether it was because he was feeling isolated, perhaps on the periphery of the group, alone and vulnerable in his grief, suffering in his isolation. That feels very real to me. Why Thomas and not the others, I don't know. But my experience is when I'm challenged and stressed by events, my natural inclination is to withdraw into my shell. And perhaps you've felt the same. And I wonder if Thomas was that type of person. If he was, then he was modelling the behaviour of so many, trying to bear the pressure on his own. And so for those in that position, what happens next to him holds out the greatest hope and truth for us all. Let's turn to Jesus, not try to manage in isolation, not try and grieve and struggle alone. Let's be there for each other. We have to be inclusive and reach out to others who seem isolated and welcome them and care for them, help them to express themselves and explore a way forward. Jesus revealed himself to the other disciples that night in Thomas's absence. So the other disciples told Thomas, we have seen the Lord. And then comes the single statement that has been used to define the man. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Again, Thomas was being honest to himself, honest about where he was at and honest to them all. Thomas was not disbelieving of Jesus, but he was unable to accept the testimony of the others. In this way, actually, he was no different from the rest of the disciples. Collectively, they'd not believed the testimony of Mary Magdalene and the other women who'd gone to the tomb that first morning and found it empty. In Luke's gospel, we read that then when Mary Magdalene and the other women came back from the tomb and told them about the two angels that had told them Jesus had risen, it says, the apostles did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. We tend to think negatively of Thomas for not believing the others. But actually, it's the forthright bluntness of his scepticism that is arresting. You can almost hear a northern accent, I think, saying, unless I see and touch, there's no chance I'll believe. With due deference to everybody else, as well as myself, who comes from the north. It seems to me those are the words of a damaged person. And it lends credence to the probability that he felt alone and isolated. He had believed in a man to the point of being willing to die with him. And perhaps in his grief at Jesus' death, he dare not now allow himself to believe that Jesus had risen for fear of being shattered again. And there's anger in grief. And how many people in this world throughout the ages have felt like that? So scared that they dare not trust again. Thomas dared to express his vulnerability. 
or maybe on the periphery of the group, he just felt, it's okay for you all, but I'm struggling with my faith. And that's acceptable too. And I'm sure there are times when we felt like that. I know from personal experience, I've sat in this church in the past and looked around and revered others for having such strong faith and viewed my own as inferior. And you might be sat here today feeling inadequate in your faith. Well, Thomas shows us that it's okay, that it's not unusual, even for a disciple who followed Jesus in person for three years. But Jesus is calling us to come to him. If we ask, he will meet us where we are and strengthen our conviction. Thomas is a champion for the unsure and all of those who are suffering doubt. A week later, the eighth day after the resurrection, the disciples were in the house together again and this time Thomas was with them. And we read in verse 26 and 27, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. I wonder, how do you hear those words of Jesus in your mind? What intonation do you place on them? Personally, I can only hear compassion in Jesus' words. I don't hear them as a rebuke or a reprimand. Peace be with you. Put your finger here. Reach out. Put your hand into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Words for Thomas and words for all believers throughout the ages. Jesus appeared again, this time specifically for Thomas, to meet him where he was in his struggle to believe. It's a measure of Jesus' love for us all that he would do that for those who honestly love him. The resurrection isn't easy to grasp. It's not easy to believe in. But in our struggles from time to time, and especially when the chips are down, Jesus is and will be there for us. And we can take courage in that. And in response to Jesus' compassion, Thomas replied with complete humility. With what is the first recorded declaration of true Christian faith. He says to the risen Lord, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. Something we strive to say and mean in our faith today. And this all took place that we might believe. Thomas was the complimentary bookend for John's gospel. It starts with Jesus coming into the world and the world not overcoming him. John writes, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made and without him nothing was made that has been made. 
in him was life and that life is the light to all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome it. And it originally ended with Thomas, the sceptical disciple, saying to the risen, resurrected Jesus, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus turned to Thomas and said, because you have seen, you have believed. And then through John's words, he turns to all of humanity throughout the ages to come and tells us, blessed are those who have not, yet, have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. John concludes by saying, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe in Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In a very real sense, Thomas is the bridge between the risen Jesus and all believers to come. Because he had that opportunity, we should believe. Thomas may be viewed in some quarters as the patron saint of non-believers, but he should be seen as the patron saint of believers. He expressed his scepticism and was persuaded so that we might to be persuaded through his restoration to faith. So what did Thomas go on to do and achieve with his restored belief? Well, he's mentioned two more times by name in scripture. One with Peter when, they went, when the disciples went fishing on the, in Lake Galilee and when Jesus appeared to them on the bank. And then he was in the upper room when they cast lots for a 12th disciple to replace Judas at the start of the book of Acts. And we know from our other reading today that from the start we see how this first declaration of true Christian faith then led in just a few short months to a powerful unity among the like-minded brothers and sisters of the early church. All the believers were one in heart and mind. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons amongst them. Thomas went on to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus and to use God's power and grace to great effect. It's well established through historical evidence that Thomas travelled to southern India, to the states of Kerala and Tamil Nadu, and lived there between 58 and 72 AD. He was martyred in 72 AD on a hill in Chennai, now known as St. Thomas's Mount. There's a vibrant community of believers there to this day that call themselves St. Thomas Christians. 
in reverence to the name of their founder, the name Toma is still popular amongst them. He's regarded by some as the patron saint of India. So what have we learned from Thomas? Thomas trusted us and believed passionately, sorry, Thomas trusted and believed passionately in the man Jesus, sufficient to suggest his disciples travel with Jesus to their death. He was willing to follow the man. He was courageous enough to ask the difficult questions. His wasn't blind faith. He wanted to understand. Hillary, after the sermon this morning, said that she'd read recently a statement that doubt is faith seeking understanding. Doubt is faith seeking understanding. Thomas grieved the loss of Jesus and had great difficulty in his vulnerability and in placing his trust in Jesus' resurrection, probably for fear of being hurt again, this time irreparably, who knows. But Jesus met him where he was in his time of need and Jesus encourages us to believe without seeing the risen body because Thomas did. Thomas went on to spread the gospel in India, was murdered for his love and faith in Jesus, but left a lasting legacy in scripture as an encouragement for all believers and through his efforts having a branch of the church named after him. Thomas has given us the permission to be questioning and vulnerable in our faith and to express our doubts. He has shown us the way to overcome them by declaring Jesus as Lord and following in his footsteps. It's okay to have doubts, but we are called by Jesus to believe. We have the scriptures, we have our teaching every week, we have our Alpha courses, we have the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of others, the support of our brothers and sisters in Christ and their experiences. We know the facts recorded in the Bible. We stand on the shoulders of those like Thomas who established and maintained the faith, weaving their lives into that golden thread that runs from the cross through successive generations and rests in our hands today. We have the sacred experiences of the times when Jesus has been very real help, guide, support, inspiration, trusted friend, lending ear or lifesaver to us. The facts and the experiences that feed us and sustain us also give us the potential to do great things in Jesus' name, like Thomas and all the disciples through the ages. Amen.